0: This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. A different week. Uh, we, we aren't beginning with scripture reading. Uh, we're going to be jumping into the story. Um, and so I promise if you're new with us here, most weeks uh, we do preach from scripture exegetically. That's like, Basically all weeks except for the last three weeks. Um, and so, yeah, so if you've, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, um, you will have, or I guess a couple of months, you'll have noticed that we've been talking a lot about the story. Uh, we've been throwing up symbols, uh, which I think we can have up there in a second. Yeah, so these six symbols, and we've been kind of pulling them into all different things from sermons to our uh, annual members meeting. Um, and so we, we are launching a, a new series, which is the, the, true, the, the true story of the world, where we're going to be looking at God's story. So we, we will unpack these over the next two weeks. Um, and so maybe, maybe you're wondering, why does the story matter? I mean, we all, we all know what stories are in general, uh, but, but why does this story matter? You know we, we all believe some kind of meta-narrative or story or something that shapes how we view the world. Maybe it's, it's the lens we view the world through. And the stories that we believe tell us who we are and, and our purpose. And it's, it's not hard to find stories in our world. Right? Whether that's a book someone has published that explains you know, why the West has dominated the geopolitical sphere. You know, or whether it's politics and different news sources having different lenses. So when they report on the same story, it looks different. Because their lens is different. Their, their story is different. And so we, we're all very familiar with this. But, but we want to be shaped by God's story. We don't want to be shaped by our, our world story, but by the story that, that God has given us uh, in his word. Because, right, our story tells us who we are and our purpose. And so what, what God has done, uh, who he is, what he has done, you know, that defines who we are and then what we do. And so this is, this is not something new. I mean, you can pick up any theological book book, basically, and they have some version of the story. Uh, Theologians have attempted to write God's grand narrative many times, right? And that can be anything from a, a book that we went through in the intensive, which is Voss's biblical theology, where it spends like whole chapters discussing maybe a paragraph of scripture, trying to summarize and explain that, to something like a children's book, uh, like Kevin DeYoung's The Biggest Story, which maybe spends like a, a sentence trying to summarize entire books and hundreds of years of human history. Um, you know, so similarly, when, when Jesus explained the kingdom, most of the time he used parables, he used stories to try to communicate what the kingdom was like to his audience. And you can look, you know, all throughout the Old Testament. And the New Testament, and you will see the people of God recounting the story of God, remembering what God has done, and and that as the context for what they should do, whether that's, you know, worshiping him or or responding to him. And so, you know, we want to learn from what the Spirit has done through the ages, what what God has written in his, his Bible, And so, over the next two weeks, we're going to be covering the story in uh, six acts. And so, this week, we're going to be looking at uh, creation, rebellion, and promise. And then, next week, we're going to look at um, salvation, uh, sorry, redemption, kingdom, and then new creation. And so this, like I, I started out saying, this is going to be a little different than our typical week. Um, it's going to be participatory. Uh, and so I, I want you all to, like, to, to join me in the story. And so what I'm going to do uh, for the next bit of time is, is for each of the acts, I'm going to read some text, which is just kind of a, a summary of what happened uh, in, in the Bible. Um, And I want you to follow along. This is is something that um, Aaron spent a lot of time drafting uh, based on some of his own research and then also based on uh, just some of the the resources we got from SOMA School, which is a kind of a network training school that uh, Aaron, Ben, and I got to go to back in November and yeah, we want you to follow along with with this story. You know, if you, if you have a question uh, and something seems you're not sure where it comes from, feel free to jot that down um, and, and tell us because we want to make sure that our, our story is consistent, um, that it's clear. And so, you know, let, let us know if something doesn't make sense. Um, and then, you know, as we go through this, there's going to be questions and discussion. And, and I'm going to invite you to participate in that. And... I just want to ask you to stay in the story, right? We we may know the rest of our Bible. We may know what's going to happen. We may know that the event I just read foreshadows something else. Um, but because we want this to be an, an experience where we're actually just stepping through God's story, um, try not to like... Pull in other scripture or talk about things we haven't read about yet. Uh, so we can all just approach it at the same level and, and contribute to our, our discussion. And so uh, before we jump in, I'm just gonna pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your word. In your word, you have uh, revealed your your grand purposes, uh, your purposes for your creation and your people. And thank you that that is something you've you've given to us, and that we can be uh, formed by your story. So I pray as we as we go through these first three acts, uh, would your Spirit just be present? Uh, would you help us to see more of you? Uh, would you help us to understand who you are and what you've done? And, and because of that, would you help us to understand um, our, our meaning and our purpose? Let's just pray for your, your presence today. Amen. All right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit because it's a bit of reading. Uh, so this is, this is story time with Tim. Um, so this is Act 1, Creation. In the beginning... There was no time, there was no space, there was no matter, there was nothing that we know today. There was only God, God perfectly satisfied in himself, content in himself, one God in community with himself. In the beginning was only God. God, out of his sheer love for himself, created the heavens and the earth to share who he is, So God spoke and created all the heavens and the earth to reflect his good, right, and beautiful nature. His creation would display all the satisfaction, all the contentment, and all the beauty that God had in himself. So in the first three days, he created the symmetry of light and darkness. He created a separation between the heavens above and the earth below. He also created the land and the sea There it was, light and dark, heaven and earth, land and sea, all places that God would fill with the good, right, and beautiful reflections of his character. And so he did. In days four, five, and six, he filled each with wonders and beauty beyond comprehension. He spoke vegetation, plants, and fruit trees into existence, beautiful displays of his good character— all wonderful elements of his creation that provide for creatures yet to be created. All this was good, right, and beautiful. Then he spoke galaxies, stars, nebula, black holes into existence, things with wonder and beauty beyond our comprehension, beauty, color, complexity, and scale hidden deep in the sky. Even still, he wasn't done filling his creation with wonders and beauty. He spoke living creatures into existence, every kind of fish, animal, insect, and bird, thousands upon thousands, millions of creatures with all sorts of beauty and diversity, everything you could imagine and more. All of of these things would display the good, beautiful, and right character of the God who created them. Now, his creation was good, but it was not yet very good. God determined to make a creature that would display his image and his character like nothing else he had yet created. God, on the sixth day, wanted something more than a creature that revealed the good, right, and beautiful nature of God. God wanted a creature created in his very image and likeness, who would not just be in relationship with God, but would continue his work. God wanted a creature who would continue to spread his image across the entire globe and in a way similar to God himself. This creature would create more good, right, and beautiful. So God created man and woman, both out of what he had already created and out of the very spirit of God. Now man and woman would spread the good, right, and beautiful image and likeness of God through all creation. Not only would they spread God's image, but they would work and keep. They would cultivate God's creation to show more and more of the good, right, and beautiful character of the God who created them. Man and woman, the exclamation point of God's creation. The only creatures made with the spirit of God and the only creatures who could spread God's image and likeness through the world and the only creature tasked to cultivate, work, and keep God's creation to bring about more and more of the good, right, and beautiful out of the things that God spoke into existence. After six days of creation, God set aside a special day, a seventh day, for man and woman to enjoy the presence of God in a special garden called Eden, this garden was special because it was where the God of heaven met with his creatures on earth. This is where the good, right, and beautiful God came down to enjoy what he had created, and especially to walk with Adam and Eve, the creatures who were made for relationship with them. This garden was also special because it had two special trees. As Adam and Eve worked the garden and spread the image of God across the entire world, One tree was a reward that included an even greater experience of the good, right, and beautiful God. Another tree would lead to something much different. So what does this story tell us about God? And so feel free to respond. A a couple words is fine. A sentence is fine. Um, And just a reminder to stay in what we've read so far, in God's creation. So yes, what, what does this story tell us about God? God did great, and we gotta do better. <laughs> right, he, he created man and woman to continue his work, right? To continue spreading God's good, right, and beautiful image throughout his creation. Mm-hmm. It, it tells a lot about his character. hmm Mhm. yeah yeah so many different types of things yeah right right he created it for us to enjoy him <laughs> he didn't need us to make him feel satisfied yeah What does this story tell you about God's creation? hmm Yeah. There's a built-in purpose or teleology. Can you say it again? There's a built-in purpose or teleology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Everything has like a, a a reason and a way that it reflects God and is balanced for His His glory. Perfectly balanced, beautiful world that God declares it is. It is good, <laughs> and then when He creates humanity, it's very good. Yeah. What What does this story tell you about uh, men and women? We used to be younger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Adam, Adam and Eve were the youngest humans, I guess. Just fresh out of the earth <laughs> we in mm-hmm. yeah man and woman were created in God's image <laughs> thing that mm-hmm. yeah that would make work. Mm-hmm. yeah God gave man and woman a, a purpose and I, I think you know, all the creatures had some kind of purpose, but like we had a purpose that was the same as God's purpose in creation. In a way, right? For us to, to continue to cultivate and to spread His goodness, and not just not just reflect it, but but you know, spread it across the earth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. We're, we're created for community with each other and with God. We see that in the garden, right? There God is dwelling with his people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's go on to act, act two now. So we've just read God created this good, right, and beautiful world which he declares over it that is very good. And he is dwelling in the garden uh, with Adam and Eve, the, the pinnacle and exclamation point of his creation. And this is what happens next. So act two, the rebellion. In this garden, in this paradise, There was someone who had snuck in to defile and destroy the relationship between God and the creatures who are made in his image, Adam and Eve. This creature, the serpent, wanted nothing more than God's image to be destroyed and for God's plan to spread his good, right, and beautiful image across the entire world to be stopped. So the serpent went to Adam and Eve in order to discredit the good, right, and beautiful God who created them. The serpent told them that they could achieve a great reward without God and that God was not good, right, and beautiful. In fact, God was withholding from them. God was the problem. Eve believed the serpent and rejected God's plan to work and keep the garden and to spread his image throughout the entire world. Adam also, with Eve, rejected God's plan. So they both listened to the serpent and ate from the one special tree in the garden that God warned Adam not to eat from. This tree would separate Adam and Eve from the good, right, and beautiful God. So listening to the serpent and eating from that tree, Adam and Eve rejected the good, right, and beautiful plan of God because in that moment, they rejected God. They did not believe that all the beautiful things created around them showed them the beauty of God. They did not believe the paradise of the garden and all the things God had provided showed them the good of God. They even rejected the reality that they were made in the very image of the right and true God. So in eating from the tree, God had warned them of. Adam and Eve rebelled against everything Everything God had put on display to show them that He was good, right, and beautiful. They rejected their Creator. As soon as they ate, listening to the serpent, they immediately knew that they had done what they had done and were ashamed. They went and hid from God. They knew they had committed treason. They rebelled. They rejected all that was good, right, and beautiful and allowed for God's special garden to be defiled by the serpent. Now because of their separation from God, the creator of all life, they would surely die. And now God's very special creatures, man and woman, creatures who were made in God's very image and likeness. These creatures rejected God and so rejected God's plan for them to spread his good, right, and beautiful character throughout the entire world. What was once the exclamation mark of God's creation became the stain on what was very good. So Adam and Eve ran and hid from God while the serpent smiled at what he had broken. How do you think God felt about what had happened? How do you find the words good, right, and beautiful? I would say the words good, right, and beautiful... That is, a, that is a very metaphysical question because I would say that God defines what those are and they are reflections of him and it's, it's kind of hard to define them outside of, of him if that makes sense right so what God has created when you see the world functioning in its full beauty uh, when you see people who are reflective um, of God's character uh, when, right? It's actually really hard to not jump ahead in the story right now to answer your question. <laughs> um, yeah. Does does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So how how do you think God felt about what happened with their rejection of Him? Angry. Mm-hmm. Right. He was probably pretty pretty sad. You said and you said pretty angry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to assign uh, emotions to the all, all satisfied good God of creation <laughs> We read God's story, we know that this is a story that He crafted and is, is sovereignly in control of. He did, it was not a surprise that they ate of the fruit, um, even even if He is saddened by it. Yeah. Kind of like a parent who really loves their child but knows that like at some point going to do something. <laughs> and, um, or It was kind of inevitable to God, like a like a parent watching a child. Yeah, yeah. And also, like, I don't think I just read through chapter 3. Like, I don't know if it describes any emotion mm-hmm. to God is in chapter 3, so I don't know if he could actually, like, right. describe those emotions. Mm-hmm. Good point, good point, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, yeah, I think you may have missed that part. Yeah. <laughs> So you could say, right? So Eve was deceived by the serpent, but Adam knowingly yeah. sinned. So whether that was yes, out of out of love for Eve and wanting to be with her, or out of just blatant rebellion against God. Yes, you said this, and I know the serpent's wrong, but I'm going to do this anyway. Yeah. Which how often do we do that? <laughs> yeah, Gene. Well, it's not fair well to note that Eve uh, and Adam established the fact that it's. Uh I think I think we can all be deceived. Yeah, (laughs) and I'm sure we can we can dig way more into this uh, than we we have time for now. The the dynamics of Adam and Eve in how they were deceived. Yeah, that's. Right. So let me, let me continue. Um, so here, here we go. So we've, we've just talked about how we think God felt. Here's where the story continues from there. God, being a good and right and beautiful God, would not be deterred. He pursued Adam and Eve. He spoke kindly to Adam and Eve. He even gave them an opportunity to admit they had failed. They didn't. They blamed each other and they blamed God. It was the woman you gave me, said Adam. God, you are at fault for what I did. You are the problem. God could not ignore the rebellion, the lies and the brokenness that Adam, Eve and the serpent caused. So he punished them with a curse for what they had done. Adam would no longer work in the beautiful garden. He would work difficult ground that he he would return to in his death. Eve would still be able to create others made in God's image, but now this process would be very painful. Even the relationship between Adam and Eve would be broken because of the rebellion against God. The serpent would also be cursed, but his curse had something different. The serpent would have his head crushed by someone the woman would create. There would be a man who would be harmed by the serpent but would destroy the serpent. This curse had something else in it. This curse had a glimmer of hope in what seemed like an impossible situation. But that's for another part of the story. Because Adam and Eve allowed God's special garden to be defiled, because they allowed the serpent in and rebelled against God's good plan to spread his image throughout the whole world through Adam and Eve, because of this, God cast everyone out of the garden. Now when Adam and Eve looked up to Eden, there was a flaming sword guarding the entrance to the garden. No one could enter into the special presence of God unless they passed through the flaming sword. Even as God cast Adam and Eve out of the garden, he still loved his special creatures made in his image and likeness. So he clothed them to cover their shame. He clothed them so that they would not have to hide. He killed animals for them to provide this clothing." Even while Adam and Eve rejected God, he was still providing. He was still good, right, and beautiful. What, what does the rebellion tell us about God? He's just. He can't mm-hmm. tolerate sin. Right, he's just. He said what the result would be of their sin, and then the result of their sin was what he said. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's merciful. Yeah, Keel? What? Uh, so what was the tangible effect of eating the <laughs> Well, I think the, the first, so the tangible, like, physical effect, I think their bodies began to decay, and they, they died, right? Instead of being perfect humans that would not decay, they suffered and felt pain and died. Um, And then, you know, the immediate effect was being removed from the presence of God, right? They could no longer be in his presence. They needed to be clothed and they needed to be removed from his presence because of their sin. He left. He left the tree there as an option so that they could reject him. It's part part of his big grand plan, right? He has he has created and you know like uh, Benito was saying earlier, like he, it's not a surprise to him that they ate of the fruit. It, they he knew that they would do that, and he left that option open to them. Mm-hmm. The root of and, and the, the real meaning of sin is rejecting God, who he is, which is reflected in, in what he has told us to do and not do, <laughs> in, in a sense. And that they may not have thought of it that way. They may have just seen the carrot <laughs> and gone for it without realizing that by pursuing that fruit, they were rejecting God, even if that's like the heart of it, right? Akhil? I believe it did give them knowledge of good and evil. What is that? I think that's generally the way people explain the knowledge of good and evil is is like the ability to sin. So so like for Adam and Eve, they were able to not sin. um, And they were also able to choose to reject God and eat of that fruit. Now... Now that we've eaten of that fruit, we are stuck in this place of we really can only sin. We no longer have the ability to not sin. We now have this full knowledge of evil, and our hearts want the evil. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, also, I mean, Adam and Eve are in a garden full of good. Right. Like, there is good good. Like, yes. Good. Yep. So, like, if that's all you know, like, and then all of a sudden you have a tree that gives you choices of the knowledge of good and evil, like, you What evil is. Yep. You know? Yep. Mm-hmm. I think another nugget from that, too, is that when you said um, the word that he clothed them with skin, mm-hmm. what did that entail? Was that a sacrifice? Mm-hmm. Did they be death then? Did they be blood? What, mm-hmm. what did all that entail? Right, right, right. So for him to sacrifice or kill a creature to clothe their shame, yeah, that's, I mean, there, there's the the first death in all of history, right? Um, yeah, what, what does the rebellion tell us about Adam and Eve? They weren't satisfied. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they weren't, they weren't satisfied with what God had said was good, and what they should or shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. They're greedy, they wanted more. Mm-hmm. Going back to the last conversation, the serpent went individually, mm-hmm. not. and you were talking about how you know, we're meant to live in community with both God and others, and so the serpent went individually to Eve, isolated from yeah community. And so we get greedy and we want more for ourselves and don't look to see what, how good we have it. Right. right, Adam and Eve thought that God was holding stuff back from them, that they could get it for themselves. Yeah. Last night, Abel had a greater sacrifice We don't know about Abel yet. <laughs> we'll find out about him in like a minute. We don't know about Abel, bro. They still weren't stripped of their status and purpose. God still kept man and woman as his, the, the beautiful thing in this creation that he gave a promise to that someday there would be some, something that would restore stuff, right? Like he, he didn't just turn them into dumb animals or something, right? They, they still are distinct from the rest of creation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They still pursue God mm-hmm. even in the rebellion. Mm-hmm. even though they hid, they then still responded and, and, and like spoke with him and allow, he clothed them and yeah. Yeah. Instead of just their destruction immediately. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's go on to the third act. Uh, so, right, so now we've seen the good, right, and beautiful world that God created, and then we've heard the account of the rebellion, which has cast that world into to darkness. And so let's see what continues from there. So this is Act 3, uh, which is the promise. The effects of the rebellion and God's pronouncement were immediate. Adam and Eve were cast from the garden, and in pain, Eve created two more men in the image and likeness of God, But already these offspring were at war. True to the promise of God, one son, Cain, followed the serpent and killed the other son, Abel. The willful separation from God and the curse had devastating consequences on the world. But with the curse, God also gave a promise. Eve would not be deterred even by the murder of her son. She knew the promise that one of her sons would crush the serpent. So she worshiped God when he appointed her another son like he promised. She called him Seth, meaning appointed. Her faith in what God promised was strong. And through Seth and his offspring, that glimmer of hope was kept. And the details of the promise would grow. But the devastation of the rebellion continued to grow as well men and women all over the globe quickly spiraled into following the serpent. Rejecting God, otherwise known as sin, became the norm as death and destruction spread. From the very core of these creatures made in God's image, God's special creatures only desired to rebel and reject God. God grieved the downward spiral and destruction that was being caused in his creation. Everywhere, the good, right, and beautiful nature of God was being destroyed and defiled. God had no choice but to destroy these humans who continued to reject him and his plan for creation. So he brought a worldwide flood to destroy all of humanity. But God, in his love, rescued one of the offspring of Eve, Noah, along with his family. God did this in order to stay true to his promise to Adam and Eve, and so that the serpent could not escape God's promise to destroy him. Destroying the serpent was one thing, but with men and women rejecting God, how would God continue his plan for his special creatures to spread the good, right, and beautiful character of God over the entire world? How could God restore the relationship with his creatures who only wanted to rebel? These answers would come as God revealed more of his promise through time. But with Noah, God made the promise to not flood his whole creation again. God also gave good laws to keep death and destruction from spreading like before. But none of this seemed to fix the rebellion or restore what God had intended from the beginning. After many generations passed, God pursued another family, like he pursued Adam and Eve when they hid. God came down and walked with Abraham and Sarah, God's presence finally began to bring new details of the promise that would bring hope to a world stuck in rebellion. God promised Abraham and Sarah that from them would come an entire nation. More than that, God promised that one from the lineage of Eve through Abraham and Sarah would do even more than crush the head of the serpent. God promised that their nation offspring would bless the entire world, bringing the good, right, and beautiful to all those around them. God's promise to Abraham and Sarah started to sound more and more like what God had intended from the beginning. Like God had promised, the families that came from Abraham and Sarah grew into an entire nation. This nation was called Israel, but there was a problem. This entire nation was trapped as slaves to an evil king. A king that, like the serpent, only wanted to destroy God's relationship with those who who were made in his image. This king hated the promised nation of Israel. The king hated the idea of Israel spreading the good, right and beautiful across the entire world. It seemed like once again, the serpent was smiling because the promise that God made to Abraham and Sarah that their nation offspring would bring the good, right and beautiful to the entire world was not going to happen. At the same time, even the nation of Israel, the people that came from Abraham and Sarah Continue to rebel and reject the plan of God. Israel, like Adam and Eve before them, seemed to be rejecting God and listening to the serpent. After hundreds of years of slavery, suffering, and rebellion, it seemed like all hope was lost. The details of God's promise grew, but nothing seemed to change. At this point, what have we learned about the promises of God. We had a had a flood, we had, and yet someone was preserved. And then hundreds of years later, God renews this promise to these distant relatives of Eve. Mm -hmm. The the promise is is still intact. He uses us despite our flaws. Like even though we're throwing wrenches into the plan, he's Mm -hmm. still gonna use us Mm no matter, you know. You can't throw enough wrenches into to stop it. Right. Still use, our laws, use us even over. Right. Yeah. God is faithful in his promises. Mm-hmm. Faithful. Yeah, yeah. God is, God has remained faithful from what he promised to Adam and Eve. Would any of us have expected this to be the turn of events? I mean, Eve thought that one of her sons, or her third son, would be the promised one to fix all of this. And it's at this point, it's been a few thousand years after that, right? <laughs> His uh, promises keep building on each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's becoming clearer with time. He's revealing more of what he intends to do. what do these promises, sorry, what do these promise details teach us about God, about sin, and about the rebellion? We need God to keep revealing his purposes and fulfilling his purposes because no one so far has been able to fulfill that. <laughs> right? <laughs> not, not how you would have written the story. <laughs> let me continue because there's still still more in this act just when all seemed lost god appointed one to crush the head of the evil king who is enslaving israel god brought moses an appointed child in the lineage of eve and sarah to rescue israel from their rebellion and crush the head of the evil king and those who followed them Finally, hope for rescue from everything that was broken in the world burst through in ways that had never happened before. God came down and used his power to rescue the very people who were rebelling against him. God came down and did something very special with his people. Through Moses, this appointed one, God joined himself to Israel with a covenant to restore what was broken from the beginning. The covenant was an undeserved agreement made by God in order to restore what was broken and see Israel spread the good, right, and beautiful character of God to the entire world. It would seem God's plan for his creation was beginning to take shape. This covenant was very important because it did two things. Not only did it provide a way to restore the relationship that was broken with God and those made in his image, but it also gave the people good rules or direction so that they could spread the good, right, and beautiful again throughout the world. Finally, through Moses, this one appointed by God, God's plan to spread his beautiful character through people made in his image, finally, this plan would begin to take place. The rebellion would be undone and God would be present again with his people in his special place, just like the garden. The serpent must have been worried because finally one would come for his head. After this covenant was made by God with Moses and Israel, another was appointed to lead the people and destroy those who were with the serpent. His name was David. Like the evil king Moses destroyed, David destroyed another leader named Goliath. Goliath was also with the serpent and hated Israel and God's covenant with Israel. But David crushed his head with a stone When Goliath died, David and Israel began to spread the good, right, and beautiful more and more. Enemies were falling. God was present with his people in a new special place, like the garden, but called the promised land. Because of this appointed one, David, and this covenant with God, it would seem that the promise made to Adam and Eve and Abraham and Sarah was beginning to come true. God was restoring what was broken from the very beginning." However, the effects of the rebellion ran deep. Both men God appointed and made a covenant with, David and Moses. They also rebelled against God. Moses disobeyed, and David did the unspeakable. He raped a woman and murdered her husband. Because of the rebellion of the leaders, the people of Israel split, fought each other, and completely disregarded the covenant God had made with them. They ignored the way to restore the relationship with God and again rejected the plan to bring the good, right, and beautiful to the entire world. Because of this, God, like with Adam and Eve, took them out of the special promised land. They could no longer be in God's presence because they had again rejected God, his covenant, and his plan for the world. God's promise to crush the head of the serpent to rescue his people from their rebellion and to spread his kingdom of good, right, and beautiful throughout the entire world remained just that, a promise and not a reality. Israel eventually saw that they had rejected God and knowing he was good, right, and beautiful, God asked for mercy and forgiveness. They again remembered the covenant and went back to the special promised land, but something was different. Israel had no appointed leader to crush the serpent's head or the leaders who were with him. They had no presence of God. It seemed as if the relationship was forever broken. But some, like Eve, trusted in the promise, even if they did not see it happen. And for another 400 years, God was silent, and the serpent was smiling. God has made some wonderful promises. Why does it seem like they've failed? Mm -hmm. Right. In our in our sin, we're not able to live up to the promises. We're not able to appreciate what He is doing so far in the story. Mm -hmm. Hebrews eleven one now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not quite yet received. I don't know what Hebrews is yet, Gene. <laughs> yes, right. So these people have had faith through the ages, and there are still people in Israel for 400 years of silence who believe God will still fulfill His promise. Yeah, Jesse. I think because we like Adam see our own sin and say, "Well, it's your fault, God. Mm-hmm. You're not good enough." For me. Mm-hmm. Or you blame, blame God for the brokenness? Also, his timeline is a lot bigger than ours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Again, not how we would have chosen it, not how many people through, throughout what we read so far thought that, you know, they thought Seth was going to fix it. They thought Moses was going to fix it. They thought David was going to fix it. And No. <laughs> is good, that God will restore things, that it's even worth being restored. saying that God intended that each of these people would actually be a contrast to whatever he's actually planning for the, the real solution. So, so what you were just saying also made me think of Akhil's question earlier about, like, how do you define good, right, and beautiful? And we, we actually kind of got that in th- this part of the story, right? Like, God gave his law. He gave rules and, and a picture of how his people should act in order to bless the nations around them. And, of, of course, they're not doing it. They're, they're failing to do it. But he's already given them a picture of what that should look like. Like a, an image of his goodness and his beauty. Uh, what what does this teach us about the effects of the rebellion? They're the mm-hmm. Right, that everything is affected. Everyone is affected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even the, even the best people are, are right. hmm Right, it was it was deeper than just one a one action. It was a change to our very being. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even the appointed leaders shows the temporal as opposed to God's promises. Whether it was data, that Shiva, David and Moses both ended up being ruled by, in the moment, the thing that they wanted versus what God had promised and, and would do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. What what would it look like for God's promises to be fulfilled? What, what is what is he promised? What would we? What would what do you think that would look like? Without jumping ahead in the story. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, we'd be in God's presence, <laughs> like in the garden. <laughs> mm mm-hmm. And what? What would that look like if we're obeying god what what does that mean for our world and each other <laughs> like mm-hmm. right mm-hmm yeah mm-hmm right we we'd only know the good right, and beautiful that God is and has given us Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. right we wouldn't see the destruction of God's creation and the the disunity that exists everywhere right yeah yeah yes yeah Right, We'd see relationships restored. We would be in God's presence. Our relationship with him would be restored. Our relationship with each other would be restored. We would only know what is good, right, and beautiful, and we would only act on that good, right, and beautiful. Like what a crazy, beautiful thing that God promised to his people Israel that they would do. And yet, this is, this is a hard place to stop. This is where we're stopping this week. Just these first three acts. At this point, God has made all of these promises and they seem to have failed. And that's... Yeah. What? Like, are they all separate promises? They're all all pieces of the same promise. Yeah. Because otherwise, it seems like the story, (laughs) like that little... is like forward arrow... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's up there. Perfect. Yeah, really, yeah. Like the story is like down arrow x forward x forward x forward x yeah. forward. and then, across, you know, Yeah. Like- yep, so it's one building promise yeah. which started with this teeny seed to Adam and Eve of someday the serpent will be crushed and then kind of grew into hey, you're going to be a nation and you're going to bless the other nations of the world. And then with David, you know, you're going to sit forever on my throne and like there's all of these things that God is adding and adding texture and detail to the promise you could say the same promise that he implied to Adam and Eve from the beginning Mm -hmm. I have a question but isn't the ultimate promise is to be with him Mm so it is one promise on a continuum right yes Yep. yep, so the same the same promise, and we're just learning more about what that truly means. And it's looking more and more like what they had in the garden in the beginning, in a, in a lot of ways, right? To actually be with God and be like him and to spread his beauty. <laughs> One of the books you read uh, in the Leisure Intensive, the author kind of painted a picture of this back in the story as like uh, a tree or something. <laughs> Mm-hmm. the more it grows you understand the more what that plant is right right but it's like not yet yeah it takes a really long time for it to be like right so it all, it all starts with a seed it's still the same DNA but over time you begin to see the leaves and the fruit of that and it's still the same promise but over time it's revealed and matures and that's what we're watching unfold yeah yeah, so that's so that's where we're gonna we're gonna stop for the story this week, um, and again this is this is tough. We we haven't seen the promises fulfilled yet in where we are, <laughs> but next week we're gonna come back and we're gonna go through the next three acts, right? So, like Arwen is talking about, we've we've gone through these first three. So we have the down arrow, which is creation, God. Descending to us and creating the world and being with his people. Then we have the X, which is rebellion, man rejecting God. And then we have the promise, which is the forward arrow, that God is slowly revealing what he intends to do. And he's calling a people his own. And he is sending, you know, leaders and messengers who give us hints or contrasts to what he, who he will actually send to crush the serpent. And that's, that's what we've been doing today. And what, Now, I think we all probably know the rest of the story. And so as we end for today, we, we do know that this next act, the fourth act, that Jesus came, that God did send one to crush the serpent. And Jesus came, he lived, he died, And he was resurrected in victory over the serpent, over sin, over death. And that after rising from the dead, Jesus called a people his own. He called the church to be his kingdom, to be his his people and his messengers to the world, to spread his good, right, and beautiful self. (laughs) And he gave us his spirit. And so that's what this, the fifth act, forward arrow, is the kingdom and the sending of his church, you know, throughout the world. And now we eagerly await the day that one day we have this down arrow, um, God comes back to be with us. We have a, a new creation, all things restored and, and even escalated better than they were in the first place for his glory and, and us as his people. And so while, it, while the story ends in a tough place, we, we do know what happens and we will be digging into that next week. Um, so yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray to close out this week and then we'll, we'll move into communion. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your word. God, that you have shown us your intentions in creating us to be your people. Um, God, that you were, were patient uh, and gracious in our rebellion that you, you promised and have pursued people and have continued to point forward to a, a great hope um, that you will provide. And God, that we, we do know the rest. We do know uh, of Jesus, of your son, and of, of what you have done. And we, we do know that you have sent us and given us your spirit and that you will come again. And so I pray that we would be people who are formed by this story. God, would we know what you are doing, and because of that, would we live in your story and and find delight in you. Uh, Just pray that you would be with us uh, the rest of this day and, and go with us this week. Amen.